Okay, here we are. Welcome to the Across the Board Fantasy Show. My name is Rich Maletto. You can find me on Twitter at Bodacious Beer, all spelled out. You can also call me Bo. Just ask Bo. I'm joined with my co host, Paul Becerra. You can find him on Twitter at Paul underscore Ryan. And our guy, Nuggy, Daniel Martino. You can find him on Twitter at Nuggy underscore Wuggy, and that is G-I-E on both of those. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Rich? I'm good. I'm good. I should probably let everyone know this is Wednesday, June 3rd of 2020, the never-seeming ending year of 2020. I'm doing well, Rich, and yes, I have to agree. These have been the longest, longest months of my life. There's no doubt about it. Rough. Rough. Well, I thought we'd talk about some fantasy football tonight since that's what we're here for. But I do have to ask, you guys drinking anything fun tonight? I'm actually drinking a uh, – you can mock me if you will, but I'm having a truly hard seltzer. I'm having a wild berry to be exact. And it's pretty refreshing, especially out here in Texas. It's, it's a hotter day, so these are nice and light and easy to drink and flavorful, so – I'm enjoying one of those, actually. A tall boy, 24-ouncer. I, I can't mock you with my orange truly right now. So. Uh, oh, orange. I haven't yet. seen that, dude. Yeah, I got the orange one. It's, uh, it's all right. It's not my favorite, but it's, uh, it's the bottom of the, the box. So you got to finish them somewhere, somewhere. Right, I got gotcha. you. Uh, okay, so, so you guys are, 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 like, breaking my heart, and I'm in love with you all at the same time. <laughs> so... Uh, I work for a beverage company. We do a lot of variety packs, and hard seltzers are a thing right now. Um, so I got to ask, have either of you guys ever tried Press? Which one I've... is it? Press. Press. P-R-E-S-S. I've never even heard of it. Same. I can't even say I've heard of it. Okay. So they're a little newer, but they are growing gangbusters. Um, in the markets where they're, they're obviously competing with White Claw, White Claw is the big one out there. So – just for the record, guys, I will never mock you guys for drinking anything you like. I will definitely not mock you guys for drinking hard seltzers because whether people want to make fun of it or not, it is a thing. And for exactly what you guys said, when it's hot, it's nice and refreshing. So I'm just not a seltzer guy. But No, but that but anyway, pomegranate ginger one looks really good. I just pulled it up on ah, that one. You already Googled that it. One, I need to figure out where I can find this. Man, <laughs> this looks really good. Do me a favor. Before the next show, do me a favor, guys. Pick one, try one. I just need some feedback. Absolutely, I'm just curious. definitely. I was going to ask you a, a nugget. When it comes to it, are you a truly guy, or do you like the white claws better? I like the white claws better personally. Um, I think the like the flavor is better in the white claws and the trulys. But mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, I I went to San Diego State. I I can I can drink a lot of beverages. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> no. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the White Claw. Like, there's this aftertaste that I don't really care for. The Trulies are a little bit smoother, but maybe not as flavorful as the White Claw, that's for sure. Yeah, see, I- almost like a oh. almost like a diety aftertaste, Paul? Yeah, kind of. It's like a kind of yeah. like a burning, like I just drink a soda. I can't really explain it. It's weird. Oh, that car. See, I can't drink more than, like, two of them in, like, uh, like a time that I'm drinking. Uh, because of like that, the carbonation, but they're good. Mm-hmm. They're good for like one or two. Right. 
Well, I, I'm the odd man out. I'm actually drinking a beer, but it's probably not one you guys have ever heard of. Um, I'm a big fan of sours. Oh. Not everybody even knows what a sour beer is, but uh, that's I prefer those, especially on a hot day. So I'm drinking Sour in the Rye by the Brewery Toro. And this is actually the uh, the one with guava, and I can't remember the other fruit. They passion fruit, I think guava and passion fruit. I'll have to look. That oh, definitely really? sounds that sounds great though. Yeah, it does. It, if you like sour beers, now I will say this: they can be a bit acidicy. So as much as I love them, I have to uh, I have to mind myself a little bit. Otherwise, I tend to um, I tend to have a rough evening. Mm. Would that be, uh, you know, kind of on par, like, with the as far as the acidity with an IPA or a little bit, uh, you know, smoother than that? Or, um, I actually, it's probably higher than that. Okay. To be honest with you, um, I, I don't want to say vinegar. Oh boy, that's that's very turn off. Yeah. But you know, when you when when you have like a a salad of vinegar and oil as salad dressing, and you get that kind of bite. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 it's in that ballpark at times they're lambics so if you kind of think of um the makeup of something like that uh, it's not for everybody I'm i not got you lie, dude. yeah because i was a i've always been a you know a pretty big ipa guy but recently these uh hard seltzers man they're just so refreshing it's hard for me to kind of go back okay so this has passion it is passion fruit and guava Actually, passion fruit, orange, and guava, it says. That sounds really good. It does. Here's the doubt. See, see, here's the thing. I love one, but they come in 750s, so I have to drink the whole 750, and that's when oh. I get into trouble. Jeez. Oh. Oh, you, you guys want to hear a bad story about a bad 750. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm kind of a beer snob. I kind of have a collection. So when I went to a fantasy football draft, I took a bunch of 750s with me because where else can you share beer? Well, everybody brought beer. And so I ended up coming home with probably half my cooler of beer, and I left like two beers there for him. Well, when I got home, there was no label on this one beer, and it was a dog fish head beer. So I stuck it in the fridge, and one day I decided to pop the top, and I was like, God, this looks familiar. It smells familiar. I'm just having a hard time placing it. And I'm like, God, it's so familiar, though. I know I know this. I just couldn't figure out the name. And I so I drink about, I don't know, half the bottle or so, and I stood up, and I go to the kitchen, and I was flat-wasted. <laughs> Just wasted. Man. And I go back, and I sniff the beer again, and I go dig the bottle cap out of the, the garbage, and I go downstairs, and I grab a 12-ounce bottle of Dogfish 120-minute IPA. And sure <laughs> enough, I'm like, unbelievable. I just tried to drink an entire 750 of 120 minute IPA. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that beer, but at that time it was between 16 and 18%. Oh my goodness. Man. So I'm curious guys, before we kind of get into it, I I don't know if y'all are as much of a degenerate as I am. Are either one of you familiar with steel reserve, uh, two eleven, I believe. Oh, I'm not. I'm not either. Okay, be glad. It's like a malt liquor <laughs> type thing, and it's when you're, uh, you're broke and you know you're just trying to have a good time on a budget. But if you ever see one, just just pass. It's that's walk your, away. Yeah, walk away, please. <laughs> All right, just for you, Paul. Right. I'll make sure to. 
<laughs> and you know, you know, it's funny. The next, if I see that, because I typically go down the beer aisles and look just to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I will look at that and I will instantly think of you now. <laughs> right. If you're ever seeking it, go to the most ghetto uh, corner store in your, in your neighborhood and you'll, you'll probably find it there, Rich. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I tell you what, guys, let's, let's go ahead and dig in a little bit here. So the topic tonight I thought we'd talk about is a mock draft I did. Um, and a shout out to John Lopp, the Gridiron Scholar. I know he's, he's been pretty supportive of it. At least of me and Paul, Dougie, I don't know if you've had much interaction with him, but if you're into college sports at all, he's definitely worth a follow. He is he is neck deep in college and knows his stuff. Awesome. I, but I, he, I uh, all right, Gridiron, he's at Gridiron Scholar. Perfect. Um, actually, I think there might be a number in it, but if you Google or if you Twitter Gridiron Scholar, he's John Lobb, you'll, you'll find him. But anyway, he was doing a mock on Fantrax with quote-unquote some of the sharks from Fantrax, the guys that write um, – you know, for their page and whatnot. So we did this 12-team super flex mock, and I wanted you guys to break it down. The reason for that is Paul did a wonderful article uh, a couple of weeks ago about even in super flex, waiting on QB. And I think this is very crucial and an interesting point to bring up, and I want Paul to expand a little bit here. Typically, the knowledge has always been, if you're in a super flex league, get your QB, get it early. That's what I – the first time I joined a Superflex League, that's what I was told. Paul, why don't you dig in why you wanted to take this approach or why you wanted to write an article, at least from that perspective? Well, it's um, – uh, you know, I appreciate you asking, and thank you for mentioning the article. I appreciate that, Rich. Uh, where – which – what? Better throw it out where we can find it. <laughs> yes, you can find that at acrosstheboardsports.net, and I um, – you know, it's I don't have it um, on my I don't have it pinned to my Twitter. Shame on me, but you can again find what? that at uh, acrosstheboardsports.net. Yeah, you know what? I think I think you should go ahead and pin that to your Twitter, man. <laughs> at least until the next one drops. My my current pin tweet right now is just some fantasy goal some goals I set for my uh, stuff last year for fantasy. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to have those pins so that I could come back a year later and see what I was able to accomplish and, you know, things like that. So that's kind of well, my well, reason behind well, While we are on that topic, I will say that fantasy pin is one of the reasons – or that pin on Twitter is one of the reasons me and Paul have become close and friends and talking through fantasy. I reached out to him because I saw that pin. So it does work, Paul. Hey, thanks. Thank you, Nugget. I appreciate that, man. I uh, I remember uh, we started interacting because you were right in the smack dab in the middle of a draft and you were seeking some advice and you were crazy enough to let me help you there. So I sure exactly. appreciate that, man. That was fun. Paul, you know, that brings me up. Paul, how did we start interacting? I, I just remember either you followed me or I followed you and we just started interact or we started interacting and then followings came. I don't even know what started it. Man. I don't either. It's funny because I know, I remember just it was just a couple of months ago, man, that like, you know, obviously, I think we've been following each other for a long time. Maybe not interacting as much as we do now, obviously. But, you know, I just remember one night we were talking, of, you know, something fantasy and. I was like, man, it'd be cool if there was like a, I don't know if I said it or you did, but like a database where you could look up stats from like five or 10 years ago or something. And you're like, yeah, that would be cool. And I'm like, man, let's do it. Let's make it ourselves. And you're like, I'm down. 
And then so we... Yeah, that sounds like me. That sounds like me. And, you know, we just started talking, and I uh, come to find out, like, Sleeper was Sleeper must have got word, but they, they actually go back, you know, maybe not too far, but they go back to uh, 2016, I believe, and I'm sure DLF and some of those guys, you know, probably have stuff all the way back to 2009 or, you know, whatever it may be, but... You know, we just started talking, and then once we realized that that idea had already been claimed, then we were like, well, let's maybe, let's do a uh, fantasy podcast together. And we're like, okay, cool. And so then we would just start, you know, I found out you were in the, uh, I guess, the beer industry, if you want to call it that. And so we started talking yep. about beer, yep. and then, yeah, I found out you liked whiskey, and I was, you know, always asking you what were some good cocktails to try when me, the wife and I go out to, to eat and things like that. And we just, you know, kind of, connected connected that way you know it's funny how those things work yeah that's what i was going to say as i just found it interesting is we just to my knowledge i just remember you responding me responding they were always fun conversations you were never i don't remember either of us ever getting in when i have a knack for getting in these heated debates on twitter and making friends afterwards i don't know what it is but that was never we, we never did that so i was just I just couldn't remember because there's a couple of people where I'm like, oh, I remember a conversation with them. We were about ready to kill each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so, well, let's get back to the article. So what was, um, what was the motivation to go that route? Cause obviously you had some thought process to, Hey, everybody's going super flex or everybody's going QB early and super flex. Do we really need to do that? So, so give us some background on your thought process. There. So it all kind of started, I first was introduced to Superflex, I believe it was the off-season of 2018, and I just remember seeing people were always saying, I'm in a Superflex draft, and I always kept seeing a lot of quarterbacks going early, and I'm like, man, what, what's going on? So, you know, I had, didn't really understand the format at that point. So when I talked to people that say, yeah, in Superflex, you can draft, you know, you can start two QBs every week, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I remember I took part in a uh, Superflex startup. And what I noticed was, I won't go into the draft story because that's kind of uh, not an important part, but kind of how the team came together. I just remember building my team around wide receivers and, uh, and running backs. I had a really strong wide receiver team at this point at the time, but my wide my I don't remember who my quarterbacks were in this league. It's it's disbanded since then, but I don't even believe before the season started, after the draft, I'm not sure I had one single starting quarterback because it was an auction draft. So everybody, you know, I kind of spent a lot of my money really early in getting some star-studded guys not really building for depth. Well, fast forward to the offseason, I remember somebody, it's actually a dynasty outhouse. He was in this league, and he said um, – Hey guys, I uh, I'm looking to make a trade, and so I DM'd him like, "Is this a trade for Neater? Trade for Idle Hands?" And he's like, "It's just an Idle Hands trade." So I was pretty stacked at wide receiver, so I said, "Okay, well, I'm gonna send him. I'm gonna offer Sammy Watkins for Andy Dalton," and he accepted it. And people kind of didn't really agree with the trade, but you know that's neither here nor there. So then I got my first starting. I hate that. Yeah, I got my got my first starting quarterback who you know for. On a week-to-week basis, you know, just with the receivers that I had at the time and, you know, with my running backs, that was – he was going to be a, at least a starting quarterback, somebody who's going to give me points. That's really all you you care about, really, when you have a, a good team built around skill players. Well, then, prior to the season, 
I had all, I had drafted Deshaun Jackson. You know, he was uh, with he was with Tampa Bay at the time, and he was getting moved to the slot. And I said, okay. Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick was being rostered by somebody, and he was he had been put on the block, and he was only asking for some blind bid dollars. So what I do, I just offered 40, 40 blind bid dollars, and I got that trade done. So now I have two starting quarterbacks for for really very low draft capital. However, what really hurt me was I have Devonta Freeman and Jarek McKinnon were my two starting running backs. They both go down one before week one and one during week one. So that kind of hurt me. But, however, because of the strength of my wide receivers, I was still able to be competitive. And I actually won, like, within the first five weeks, I had won three games. And I, and I just kind of felt like, man, if I had running backs, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm really onto something. And I remember the commissioner, he posted in the league chat, he goes, Man, Paul Ryan has no no real quarterbacks, and he's somehow winning leagues. It's really actually kind of frustrating. And once once I yeah. said that, I'm like, okay, I must be onto something. And so, as you know, Superflex started to gain more popularity. I kept noticing that people were always taking quarterbacks super early, thinking that they had some sort of advantage over everybody. While you know, there's so many running backs and wide receivers that are just falling to great value. That makes sense. Well, I mean, and let's let's be honest. I mean, for anybody that's newer to fantasy or hasn't done it, or even you know, you know, it's one of the fundamentals for even for us people that have done it all the time or have been doing it for twenty years or whatever. Value is you win. It, it, it's just like stocks. You win by buying the values. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get a guy that's going to perform by the end of the year as a guy that is equivalent to someone in the first two rounds, and you get him in rounds five or six, that's a win. I mean, that's. You, you were making up huge ground on people, and that's where position scarcity comes into it. And the whole point of Superflex is to make the quarterbacks more valid, right? Because I think most of us would agree, in any redraft league, you should wait on a quarterback. I mean, there's no need. Everybody wants the Lamars, and don't get me wrong, Lamar probably won people some leagues last year. But I'll be frank, in a, in a league I was really fighting in, the guy that dominated all year with Lamar, I beat him in the playoffs because guess what? Lamar had a bad mm-hmm. game. And that was his team. Well, and you know? what, I, what I want to point out is the reason those teams, yes, Lamar helped them win. But one of the reasons that Lamar was it, like the deciding factor is because he was drafted so late That's in true. the draft. They were able to build a solid team around right, him. Right, because he himself was a value at, the point, at that point. Exactly. Right. In all fairness, do, do you guys know of too many teams that won last year with Mahomes? Nope. Uh, no. None of my and, leagues. And, let's, and, and, I mean, people – Adam Schefter took him number one overall. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that. So, I mean, you know, people that were getting him in even round three were thinking they got a steal. So, I, I was very curious because, Paul, un, until your article, I mean, I, I had seen other people talk about it, and I think I had kind of done it by accident. I tend to be – you know, if I see – any position flying off the board, I have a bad habit sometimes of panicking and, and getting a guy. Right. You know, um, so I try not to do that now, and I try to at least have a, a list of guys I like. And when too many of them disappear, then I know I need to make my move. Versus when too many overall disappear, mm-hmm. right? But I I had always heard. <clears throat> in fact, last year I reached out to a couple of quote unquote experts, and was told get your quarterback, get it early. So with this mock draft, I really wanted to wait as long as possible and what was interesting um 
I spoke to John Lobb afterwards, and, and I'll, I'll kind of give you some of his what he was trying to do too. But what I found really interesting is we started this, and John and I were completely blown away by how quickly quarterbacks went off the board. I mean, I don't know if you guys took notice or if it, it hit your radar, but it blew my mind by the time I picked in the first round of a non-dynasty, and I had pick six, I believe, three quarterbacks yeah. were gone. I definitely took notice of that. I will say this. I was surprised, you know, the first round, you know, you see three quarterbacks, you're kind of, you know, that's that's pretty common. However, I thought that after the first round, you didn't really see a lot of quarterbacks going as much as you normally would, I thought. That's fair. I felt I that I felt that same exact way. Whenever uh, – we'll get into it a little bit later, but we're, we're going to talk about a value play. I saw Matt Ryan in the seventh round, and I was like, wow, that is insane value from what I've been recently doing on my draft and what I've seen. But then I, again, saw who fell after, and I was like, wow, I really felt like quarterbacks were faded in this draft almost kind of altogether, in my opinion, for a super flex draft. And Nugget, if I may, before we get into it, you know, I know you've done a couple of startups since since then and things like that, but... When you and I were talking and, you know, I was kind of helping you, you know, I guess giving you suggestions for that draft when we first, you know, initially met. I know, you know, I kept emphasizing that you can wait on quarterbacks, wait on quarterbacks. You know, I'm not, you know, I imagine you don't have the roster right in front of you, but when you look back. Keep keep on talking, I'm pulling No, no problem. But when you, you know, when you look back, if you can remember it all, what are your feelings now on that roster and, you know, waiting on quarterback? Did you kind of see the value in doing that? I, I really did. So for just so everybody that's listening knows, I waited until the fifth round at the five, the five ten and the six Oh three to select Matt Ryan and Daniel Jones in that order. However, the team I had before I was, so I mean, the players I drafted before I had cook Kamara, Keenan Allen and Michael Gallup. Before um, Lamb was there, we can, we'll probably get into the, the value of that later. But I felt really confident in the players that I had acquired that I didn't need to go for that quarterback early. I, I felt confident that I could wait on the quarterback. Right. You know, it's just interesting when you think about it. I mean, you can look back on your drafts. When you see the team that you can build when you, when you wait and you don't reach – Yep, exactly. Um, I'm even um, – I do way too many of these Dynasty startups, but I just, um, just completed one where I again weighed into the sixth and seventh round to draft QBs, and I had – I just have such a stud lineup. It's like if unless a major value falls in quarterback in the third, fourth round, I don't see any reason you should be selecting a quarterback until at least the fifth round. From what I've seen so far, that's just my opinion. Right. Oh, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. I, I would, I would argue, even argue that I, I would, I wouldn't go any earlier than the seventh. You know, Rich. But that's oh, sorry, just me. sorry guys, I don't mean to keep trying to cut you off. But Rich, you brought up my article. No. Nugget, you yourself, you had a really good article where you went into real depth about the time of the types of teams you could put together, and you did, I believe, it was thirty-six mock drafts, and you did a. You did three separate drafts from each draft position. You know, that, that article right there just shows you what you can do, 
what type of team, what type of team you can build when you wait on quarterbacks. And yeah, I'd like to bring that up because that was a really great article you wrote as well. That one. Do you have that one? That pinned? one has not been published yet. Paul's just ruining the surprise. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I was wondering because I'm sitting here going, man, I feel like a total yeah. jerk. Like I'm, I'm sitting here going, I, I would have brought Nuggets article up sooner. I would have read it. Like I'm sitting here thinking. Holy crap, man! What what was I sleeping on Twitter? So I'm like, how did you I know? I'm so That's s- coming out next week. It's okay. It's okay. Nugget, you're a, you're a busy guy. We're you know we talk regularly. You're always doing a startup or a mock and things like that. And you know, I'm sorry I, for some reason I thought you had already published that bad boy. I do apologize. No, it's okay. It's coming soon. I'll, I'll make sure to tag both of you in it. <laughs> yes, please do. All right. So let let's just give some people some background here since we're talking about how early they went and it kind of died off. I had pick six. We'll just go through the first pick, the first six picks, and then we'll get into the other topics uh, we, we were going to talk about. So it started off with Mahomes, Lamar, Christian McCaffrey, Barkley, Dak. That's the one that kind of surprised me, which uh, I'll touch on that later. Zeke, and then I went to Alvin Cook. I, there could be a debate on where to go there. I'm an RB guy. We'll talk about that later. But that's how it started. So of the first six picks, I guess I was pick seven. I can't count. So I'd pick seven. Of the first seven picks, three were quarterbacks, four were running backs. So let's uh, let's go ahead into the next thing. I wanted to hear who you guys thought was the best team. Who do you got, Paul? All right, Rich. I'm going to break the rules a bit here. I had a four-way tie, and these were the four teams that I did like the best. So it's going to be Gridiron Scholar. I love the running backs that he had. He was able to get Zeke, Jonathan Taylor, and Aaron Jones. And then I was looking at the L.A. Rams. I absolutely loved his wide receivers, and I thought the overall balance of his team was just really good. And then we've got the uh, team to the house. I just I liked he had a he had good value. It seemed on just about every pick that he had. And not only did have he have good value, but I really liked the upside of his players as well. And then of course I can't leave my boy Rich out here. He was able to grab some really good running backs. Great value at quarterback as well. And, of course, that trio of wide receivers you have, man. I mean, to be able to get those guys where you did, I was very impressed by that. And just so we know that uh, Paul isn't blowing smoke at Rich, I that was actually one of my favorite teams as well, Rich. So you, you had a great draft. That receiver core is just – I mean, they're going to be – the dead. I, Kenny G was your third-round pick, Cortland Sutton, Devontae Parker. You're going to have a great team there. Well, I appreciate it. And, and just so people don't think that we're just being buddy buddies here, the Gridiron Scholar did an article on it, and he also said he felt mine was the, was the best team. That it, You couldn't pick your own team. He wasn't going to pick his own. Um, but he did say that. So, I, guys, I appreciate it. I can't lie. Um, I was happy with how it went. What really surprised me, in all fairness, typically I hate drafting in the middle. There's some upside to drafting in the middle in that you typically don't get stuck with a run. So you're constantly getting another player every 12 picks, right? Exactly. But I much prefer to be near the corners on the turn. I feel like you can kind of dictate a draft a little bit more. So I was very nervous with my spot. In fact, I, I told my wife, I said, because I've done quite a few best balls, I have been between spots six and nine and probably 90% of the drafts I'm in. So it's been a little frustrating. But I, I appreciate the props, guys. I, I can't lie. I was pretty happy with what was on the team there. 
And you know what? We should mention what's on some of these guys' teams. You know, um, to the house. I, I can't deny deny that, Paul. Um, the the concern I have on his team is I'm a little off on the rookies this year because I feel like there's no off season. I do think there won't be really any off season. I I really worry that the rookies are all going to be red shirts this year. That said, he got a great value with Mossert at six. With Mossert getting the uh, contract extension, I think anyone. And I know, Paul, you're not the biggest Mossert guy, um, but I think that people are really kind of sleeping on him because it sure looks – the team is doing all the buying signs that he's their guy. They didn't extend Coleman. They didn't extend um, McKinnon. They traded Breda. He's not that old. He doesn't have much tread on – I mean, he hasn't done, have much wear on the tires. It sure seems like, and I tell you what, Kyle Shanahan running backs produce. I don't know what your guys' feelings are on that. No, there's no doubt about that. He he's always able to get the most out of out of running backs. I mean, he'll find a guy on the street and plug him in, and he can go off for a hundred yards and two TDs. There's no doubting that. And I, I but, personally uh, as well think that Moster was a great value, and the re- one of the reasons I want to kind of talk, I, I realize is because he was the. 25th running back off the board in this draft with that run heavy scheme that the Shanahan does run with the, the Niners. I'm willing to take that chance at the, with my 20 and the 25th running back off the board, especially after what we saw at the end of last year with him. Right. Uh, you're spot on. Now again, I apologize. I kind of stole your thunder from from something we were going to talk about later, and I, I apologize. Nope, it's for okay. That. I just but, jumped uh, on right on it. Yeah, but uh, you're spot on, Paul. Uh, it sounds like you. No, had a I was going to say you can't really name 24 more running backs that you'd rather have over Raheem Mostert. Get when you think about the offense and the opportunity there, but at the same time, Shanahan, you know, he seems to be like go with the hot hand type of guy. I mean, we saw Jeffrey Wilson last year. He was getting red zone touches. We saw Tevin Coleman. He would go off for a game. We saw Matt Breida, you know, get the pass, passing work. And then, you know, they're bringing back Jarek McKinney. He worked, He reworks his contract. It's just so many things that, you know, I feel like it's unpredictable. But, again, like Nugget Nugget mentioned there, I mean, to get, for the him to be the 25, 25th running back taken off the board is almost criminal. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you guys something. You know – you, you bring up a kind of a valid point, Paul, in that it, I don't want to say it's boom or bust, but the whole hot hand, the, you know, I'm not sure we don't see a lot of Jeff Wilson again in the red zone. I mean, who's to say Mossert's not the guy between the 20s and they do something different in the red zone? We've seen coaches do that. The question I have is some of these guys – the end of the year average because of how good they are in certain select games skews where they really mm-hmm. rank, right? Amari Cooper, in my opinion, it, it kind of falls in that that bucket. How worried or how do you guys kind of manage around that or how do you guys take that in consideration? Um, so the way I take that consideration is – I'm not gonna be going for those players with my first three round, my first three picks. If I, I, I want to stay risk averse with my first, at least my first two. I don't want to have to worry about those boomer bust players. I want those uh, high floor players like Ezekiel Elliott, Barkley, CMC. Those are the players I'm going for. But if we're looking 
into the sixth round where Mostert went, and he's going in a lot of drafts, I'm okay with taking that chance to hopefully use my resources and skills to determine when he is going to be better than, like, when he's going to be used mostly. I know I can't predict the future. I'm not going to be able to get it. But if he's my sixth-round pick, and in this case, case four to the house, his fourth running back, I think that's worth the risk. That's fair. Paul? No, to Nugget's point, I think, again, you meant you talk about getting a player like that in the sixth round where – as as the player pool is starting to shrink as far as the top, you know, the top tier talents, you know, the first three tiers, you want to start taking more of those risks. You want to take guys in good offenses. You want to take the guys with upside. And I think Moster definitely fits that category right there. That That's completely fair. I, I, I was just very curious because I had a discussion with somebody on Twitter the other day where we were talking about, you know, points per game or averages and, and it's kind of a slippery slope, right? Because at the end of the year, you know, someone like Dalvin Cook missed four games and it was RB5, what's their true value, mm-hmm. right? If he misses four games and he's RB5, isn't he worth a little bit more? I mean, the injury, the injury concerns are there. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay those or, or take them out of the equation. But like I said, Cooper, Mari Cooper is really the one that comes to mind. He plays a lot of the games, but it's not uncommon. He'll win you a week or two. There's no doubt about it. But there's also some weeks where you're like, man, I'm not sure I'm going to get eight points from him. I'm not sure I'm going to get five. You know, and so I was just very curious on that. But I, I agree at that point in the draft, it's, 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 it's a great value. Rich, if um, I may. And then, you know, Nugget. No, I was going to say, I may, you bring up Amari Cooper, and, that, and you brought up Dalvin Cook as well, and you, you said you were talking with somebody about points per game average and things like that. And it makes me, you know, I want to, I'm curious as to what, what you guys think. How do you feel, how do you value consistency week to week as far as in fantasy? Is it something where you're not as likely to take a player because he's too boom or bust? Or do you feel like, hey, if I've got good running backs and a good quarterback that I, I can afford to have, you know, let's just say Amari Cooper one week only give me eight points, and then the next week give me 25. When, when you're kind of doing your roster building, are, are you looking for consistency or for upside for most weeks, Rich? So I had a bad habit years ago of constantly kind of taking the guys nobody wanted but were consistent, right? They would get you – you were good for 10 to 12 points every week at the running back or the receiver spot. People didn't like him because it wasn't right. flashy, Right. Well, the problem I ran into is I was making the playoffs. I consistently made the playoffs on a very regular basis. I never did anything in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's because I never had a hammer mm-hmm. to hit anybody with. You know what I mean? Um, and I started listening, and, and, you know, I listen to a lot of serious radio, and, and there's some hosts that I pay a lot of attention to. Some of them really, in my opinion, do something so, so well. But Jeff Manns really hit home to me one day talking about how you don't want all of it. You want some of that on your roster, but you have to go after some of those guys with the crazy upside. Uh-huh. You have to. But don't be foolish and go after all those guys because that's not going to work either. You need right. it mixed in. And so the last couple of years, I've really tried to do that. And Mossert and Tanugget's point is a prime example of that, right? 
the floor could be very low on him. We saw that a few times just because of how, you know, no touchdowns, Coleman went off, whatever it is, hot hand. At the same time, there were some times when, you know, you probably had Mostert in your flex, depending on if you drafted him, picked him up, what have you. And the guy put up 20 mm-hmm. points for you. That was going to win you a week. How about you, Nugget? Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I touched on it a little bit, so I don't want to be dead bush. But I – it's – after those, I believe you need those high upside players to win. It's after those uh, first two, two to three picks is that's when I target those boom or bust type players. So last year I was able to grab uh, Amari Cooper in that third, fourth round and I was able to have that boomer bust, but I also had solid players above him that I was, um, that were like those high floor players that were keeping it solid to when he had those rough weeks. Right. I got you. I was just curious because I know you definitely want to have balance. And when you can have a boomer bust guy in your flex, you know, like a T.Y. Hilton or a Mari Cooper, when you're putting a guy like that in your flex, I mean, you, you're really giving yourself an advantage because even their floor, you know, eight to 10 points, that's still pretty solid for a, for a flex position. But when they go off and they give, you know, those 25 or 30 point weeks, I mean, that that's just a, you know, like rich, rich said, that's the hammer. That's the hammer that you need that puts you over the top. Exactly. And, right. and back to our, why we started, I think most well, is that guy that you could put in the flex and can go off for 20 points on any given week. And you can and you can afford exactly. to do that with where he's being drafted. That that's where it comes back to the value that you guys were talking about. But to give you an idea, Paul, let, let's just not to brag here. Let's just go over my team though, because you know I feel bad. We're talking about these teams. We see them, but nobody listening to us has any right. clues on these teams, right? But um, so I started out with Dalvin Cook, followed up with Nick Chubb, Galladay, Sutton, Devontae Parker, Kareem Hunt, Noah Font, Mike Williams, Baker, Drew Locke. Alexander Madison, which I think is key here, Hayden Hurst, Duke Johnson, um, New England's defense, Zane Gonzalez, and then uh, Brandon Ayuk. The, the last three picks I'm not, not too concerned about, but I do want to talk about how I kind of mixed it in here. To your point, um, Nugget, I went with Nick Chubb. I would pref- If Drake had been there coming back to me, which to the house took, I would have obviously gone Drake there. I, I, I'm high on him. He, he gives you, in my opinion, the – Potential, quote-unquote, workhorse, a, a potential. I mean, catch the ball, run the ball, what have you. Nick Chubb's going to be splitting the ball with, with Kareem Hunt. We know this. Um, we also don't know, you know, Nick Chubb has kind of an injury, a little bit of an injury history thing. We also don't know how they're going to use uh, Hunt. But let's face it, the Vikings mm-hmm. last year ran the hell out of the ball, regardless who was back there. Typical of a Gary Kubiak offense. Kevin Stefanski had been there with Kubiak the last couple of years. People that learn that type of zone blocking and offense with Kubiak tend to go on and put up some running games. Kyle Shanahan comes from the same area. They all came from the Mike Shanahan tree. It's all in the same boat. My goal was when I saw Nick Chubb fall, like I said, I'd hope for Drake. I had already put a plan in place that I was going to handcuff both those guys. What became difficult was if you got to handcuff Kareem or uh, Nick Chubb, you have you to can't go take that chance hunt. of him getting draft because somebody he, else drafting him. I completely get what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. And to your point, Nugget, he's in that same ballpark as Mosser. 
he's capable mm-hmm. of five catches and 100 yards. Not necessarily likely, but he's capable of it. Mix in with his rushing ability. If Nick Chubb gets hurt, all of a sudden, exactly. he's a top five running back. So people in that fifth, sixth, seventh round, they're going to be sniping those guys. They're going to be taking him. So when it came to me in the sixth round, I had already made, after I got my third receiver, since the rosters required three receivers, which I wouldn't necessarily say you have to, but the way the receivers were going, I knew I was going to have to. I mean, by the time I picked there, the receivers that I liked that were still there, Shark, McLaurin, uh, maybe Debo for me, and Devonta Parker. Uh, I'm not Stefan Diggs. I'm a little lukewarm on. T.Y. Hilton, I'm a little lukewarm on. But that was about it. So chances are a lot of those guys probably aren't going to be there coming back to me. Meanwhile, the running backs that were still on the board at that point, Mark Ingram was still there. Um, David Johnson was still there. Devin Singletary was still there. Mossert was still there. So I felt like I probably was going to be able to get something. And at the same time, I knew I wanted Hunt. But I knew he wasn't going to go much further. So in the sixth round, I took Hunt, which made me nervous. I wasn't sure what I could do with the rest of the lineup after that. Um, But it kind of fell into place. You know, Nugget, you bring it up. We'll skip over just so you guys know. We're going to skip a couple of topics here because I just don't. I think our discussion's been a lot more fruitful than than some of the topics. Man, I took notes oh. for nothing, Rich. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm, no, I'm sorry, playing, man. It's all good. Uh, you know what's what's the point of beating up somebody's worst team? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And we're talking about and we're talking about overpriced players and, and undervalued players, and that's really what I think matters the most. Um. I, I went font. I'm very high on font. Um, Nugget, I, I know you brought up, you wanted to talk about, you know, my thoughts and my approach and, and looking at between Sutton, Judy, and font, how that mixes, um, you know, font and Kittle. Yeah. I, I kind of so like actually, um, I will shout out another podcast. I was listening to the fantasy footballers, um, just the, um, like I do whenever they drop their episode, and they were talking about, uh, Font compared to Kittle in their rookie season. The numbers were similar. I don't have them in front of me, but um, touchdowns, receptions, yards, all of those were similar with Kittle. And Judy is going to be a great receiver. Not saying he's going to be a great receiver in his first year, but over the time, I fully believe he's going to be a great wide receiver in the NFL. Sutton, we already know he is a great receiver. What people realized towards the end of the 2019 season was that they had to, if they could cover Sutton and shut him down, Broncos were nothing. So that's, that's what they did. Now they have those, there's more mouths to feed in Denver. Fant is a year older. Uh, They brought in Melvin Gordon. They brought in Judy. So I fully believe that Fant is going to be able to, take on that similar role to Kittle um, this year because I, I, the way I'm looking at it is everybody's going to be worried about Gordon, Judy, and Sutton. However, Fant is going to be a really good tight end. That's the way I'm looking at it. Well, and I agree. I, I'm very high on Fant. Um, I, I think he's going to be a top five tight end this year. Uh, the reason I say that, Pat Shermer, uses his tight ends. That's the OC there now. Um, you saw that with Ingram. You've seen them at other places. 
And while he gets a bad rap for being a horrible head coach, and he, I can't deny the numbers and all that, the reason he's got so many opportunities to be a head coach is because he's that good of an offensive coordinator, you know, like North Turner was and some of these other guys. I, I completely agree with you. And see, I, I go after Sutton. I gravitate. You know, Paul and I talked about this in the past, Nugget, but you probably haven't heard me talk about it. Okay. I, I'm a sucker for big receivers. I'm a, a firm believer that you can't teach size and speed. Sutton, Sutton hits those boxes for me. So to get him as a number two receiver, I loved it. And, and I would understand if somebody said, well, Adam Thielen was there, Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods. You know what? Those are all decent. And, and I, you could argue they're even maybe safer picks. But I'd rather have the guy that's – what did we say, Paul? Isn't something like 6'4"? Didn't I look that up? He was I a thought lot he was 6'3 uh, or 6'4". Yeah. So, red zone target. You can't teach that. And guess who else is a red zone target? Noah Font. And he stretches the field. And, you know, you're 100% right about Kittle. I've heard multiple people make that comparison. And let's, let's be honest, mm-hmm. Iowa has been producing some tight ends, folks. They just have been, you know. So I've got a keeper league, and I probably shouldn't share this on here, but I am, I am really hopeful I get him with my first pick in the first round. I pick last. That's my goal. I will feel I, – if I get him at that spot, I'm confident they're going to end up blowing up our teams in three years because I'm going to break the rules and win too many. <laughs> That's how I, I like honestly it. feel about it. Um, but, well, they, they actually created the rule because I did that before. Oh, wow. But anyway, so I, I, I'm very big on Font. You know, Higby went after him. Hunter Henry and Ingram went before him. So I, I do want like to go back and do, be the devil's the only... advocate a little bit. If, if I felt like you wanted if I was personally going to be targeting Fant um where some people may see it as a reach I think it was the perfect value I don't know if I would have gone Sutton there oh well see I wasn't necessarily targeting Fant you bring up a very valid point because in all fairness I'm not very excited when we got done that I'm awfully committed to this Denver Bronco offense um, I'm a big fan and Paul can, can touch on this too. Cause he and I've talked about it. I'm a big fan of diversification. He and I did a draft together and we straight up went differently because he and I both had shares of somebody. The problem was the way this was falling. I really, I like font way more than Higby Hooper. Gusecki. I would have considered, I, I would have thrown Gusecki in that mix, but at that point, I didn't have yeah. Locke, and I really didn't intend on drafting Locke. That was not really my intention. So I felt pretty comfortable with that. But to your point, Nugget, if I had been targeting – let's say I was targeting him and or Locke, I 100% agree with you. You know, with the receivers that were there, probably would have been better off maybe going Thielen, maybe A.J. Yeah. Brown. Um, maybe a little early for D.K. Metcalf, but – I, I can't really, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's just what I felt. And I personally, um, I just think that I, I would have gone feeling if I was in your spot just because we don't know what's going to happen with what could be a really bad offense. If you look at um, uh, Drew Locke's stats from his first five games, he didn't throw over 200 yards. Yes. 
in four yes. out of the five games he played. And the only game he threw – or, sorry, two. Yeah. In, in three of the five games, he threw for um, under 200 yards. And that was against the Chiefs and the Houston Texans. So, I don't – yeah, that's a very small sample size. It's his first season. He's a rookie. We can really see him grow. He's added people around. However, if we go to Kirk Cousins and we look at his last five years, he has thrown for uh, 21,000 yards over the last five years, which um, – let me pull up my calculator real fast to make sure I have this number right. That is – it's a little over 4,000 each year. It's a little over 4,000 each year. So I, I would have taken that that floor, that safety with Thielen, who's going to be the number one for sure. Not really many people challenging him over Sutton. However, I, I was going to say, get your guy. If this is your guy, this is the guy you believe in, go and get your guy. Right. That's the way I feel as well. Now, Rich, if I recall, because I know Nugget asked you in the, uh, in the chat, this was – this mock was somewhat redraft based, correct? Correct. Now, and I, I th- we were kind of talking about this prior to recording, but I, I think you, you guys both said that when you are drafting, you tend to have that dynasty mindset. That's is that is that right? Even when you're mock drafting, uh, I I'll, I'll be quiet. Yes. I personally just Go let ahead, my Doug. first two to three picks determine it, how I if I just. If these vets fall to me in these two to three rounds, I'm like, well, might as well go all in now because I have a philosophy, if you ain't first, you're last. So that's the way I look at it. Um, If I'm looking at Rich's team right here, you know, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, I'm I'm still open. Kenny Galladay, I'm still open to, okay, I'm probably going to be leaning more towards a dynasty instead of going all in, especially with – uh, his the team that he had. Sorry, I did right. cut you off, Rich. What were you gonna say? No, what I was gonna say is one of the things I learned from this draft is I had been a little bit too dynasty forward thinking, um, mm-hmm. and that's probably where the Sutton pick kind of came from. You know, I wouldn't really have liked Robert Woods, but like I said, Thielen, Thielen does catch my eye. Um, He's had some injury concerns. I think at that point I was kind of leading red zone target, big receiver, big body over, you know, a slot type guy that's going to get it done each week. Um, But in all fairness, I I really don't disagree with that logic. I'll be frank, Paul. I need to be sure because I did this in best ball last year. I did too many best balls like it was a regular draft instead of being willing to take a little bit more of a chance on a high upside guy because it doesn't matter if they have a shitty low week. You got somebody else that exactly. might have a good week. Right. You know what I mean? So I have to learn to be better at separating the types of drafts I'm doing, at least in my my. Well, I was going to say, you know, even regardless if it's redraft or, um, or dynasty, I personally, I probably myself would have taken Cortland Sutton over Tyler Lockett or over an Adam Thielen. But you know, Nugget brought this point up—a very valid point. What's gonna this—the straw that stirs the drink in Denver is definitely gonna be Drew Locke, and you gotta wonder that small sample size. Yep. You don't really know what to expect, but again, we're, we're we've been talking about high upside, and Portland Sutton definitely offers that. 
And and to be fair, part of the reason I'm willing to go, I don't want to say all in on Denver. You guys know this about me, and maybe some of the listeners don't. I'm a big coach and systems guy. I feel like they're much more predictable. I feel like coaches like certain either attributes, types of players, certain players, certain uses of players. You know, I mentioned Gary Kubiak. I have won leagues by people laughing at me by me picking fifth overall and taking a Gary Kubiak running back. I trust in that zone blocking system. And the guy I'm talking with, I mean, I remember the year I took LaShawn McCoy and Arian Foster. People thought I was a moron. I took McCoy because of Andy Reid, and I took Arian Foster because of Kubiak. You know, I feel like Shermer's going to produce with these guys. If Shermer, I guess the way I see it, we all have concerns on lock, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't grind a lot of tape. I could look at tape and tell you, you know, Greg Cassell does well at this. But I, I couldn't tell you he's got a horrible throwing motion. His elbow's not high enough. His release is too late. He's got terrible footwork. I have no idea, man. However, I don't think Pat Shermer takes that job if Drew Locke and if we wanna, something he thinks he can And if we Very also want to go on storyline, oh, I mean – John Elway's also pretty big up there in the Denver. He he needs that quarterback. I was actually just reading this on right. ESPN. He needs that quarterback, that homegrown QB, to really submit his front office legacy. And if he can do that with Locke, he's going to go all in and try to do that. What were you saying, Paul? Oh. Well, you, you got to – Right. No, I was going to say, you got to your point, you know, John Elway, he hasn't had a lot of success – drafting quarterbacks you know you think about Paxton Lynch and you look at um, he hasn't. is it Trevor Simeon as well uh, yep. is he is Den- is John Elway on the hot seat I mean you you, saw, you look at the Denver Broncos draft they go out and get J- Jerry Judy you know adding to that wide receiver core and then they trade for or they uh they signed Melvin Gordon you got to think that they have some some faith in Drew Locke Well, and Nugget mentioned it earlier. They Absolutely. sure did give him a lot of tools. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. Regardless of what Jerry Judy is, I think what they're – you know, Deshaun Hamilton came out. And people had some high hopes for him. They figured, yeah, maybe not the first year, but year two or three, they thought he'd be something. I think we've all seen at this point, yeah, don't count on that. And I think Jerry Judy fits that position and that role in the team quite well, um, at least his style of play, in my opinion. So – Look, if, if Drew Locke's not the guy, in all fairness, they should be able to find a exactly. guy because they've given them enough tools. Definitely. To There's no question about that. All right. But I, I agree. I, I'll be the first to tell you, Nugget, if, I was, if this was a team I had, chances are I'm probably looking to trade somebody. Considering I got Hayden Hurst where I did, I it wouldn't surprise me to see Font have a good couple of games and me try to move him and expand both the wide receiver position and maybe get a you know a dark horse tight end type like a Jack Doyle or something, um, something along those lines. Because I, I agree with you, I'm a, I'm a little too I know um, at least in this draft. We may be a little short on time, but that was one of my points as well. If you're gonna be taking like these, if you're not grabbing one of the top three to four tight ends. You almost need to take two of them in the later round because it's it, that's your that's your version of streaming tight ends. You're you're playing the matchups. You're playing everything that's going on. 
you're able to kind of figure out you can trade one if one blows up in the beginning. Right. You have a lot of options when you say, uh, when'd you get her? She got him in the 12th round. Amazing value. You pick a tight end in the seventh and the 12th, just like you did, you have a lot of options. And I think that's the most important, one of the most important parts about fantasy football is to give you options. Yeah, offer give your lineup some exactly. versatility as well. Yeah, I mean, look, you don't want to you don't want to eat an egg on on bye weeks and and stuff like that. I mean that that you know it's one thing to draft from four different teams and they all have the same bye week. It's another thing when you draft all from the same team. I mean, they play they play San Francisco's defense that week and they put up a turd. You you put up like low points for the exactly. week that week. Because you just lost out on three different players, you know. No, I I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I I tell you what, I'll, I'll go one step further on the tight end thing. I personally think you need two tight ends anyway. Even in the drafts where I'm getting, say, a George Kittle, I've been still grabbing a Hurst, a Font. Um, I haven't grabbed much. I I I'm probably way lower on Hooper than most people, and it's not because I don't trust him the the talent. I'm a little nervous about the tight ends with Najoku there. And if you look at what Rudolph and Irv Smith did last year, I'm a little worried that they canceled each other out. But I, I'm of the belief Gasecki's mm-hmm. another one. I'd love to get a Gasecki as a number two. And the part of the reason I'm so big on that, I think I don't think it's talked about enough in my opinion. Tight ends get hurt. And in my opinion, it's probably the most dangerous position to play on the field. I get the running backs get pummeled and they get hurt, but there's – there's a bit of a system out there in that a lot of teams do that you know, hot hand committees. You don't see that with tight ends. And these guys are big human beings that are incredibly fast hitting other very large human beings that are very fast. And I get that everybody on the field's kind of that way, but tight ends are running into linebackers. And these boys, these men are what, 250, 260, running four, six, 40s smack dab into each other that i i'm just of a fan i know a lot of people like get one tight end stream if you need to for the bye week i'm of the opinion get two especially if you exactly. can find a way I to get that second one that way. high upside guy and you know i'm looking at these teams and hardly mm-hmm. anybody did that i tell you what if i had zach Ertz, yeah i'd want to make sure i got goddard for sure. You know, people have seemed to have soured on Zach Ertz, and he's just been nothing but be a tight end one for like the last four or five seasons. It doesn't make sense, but I know that, you know, Goddard is definitely a uh, a concern there. But I just, I still think that Zach Ertz really is the tight end to own there in Philadelphia. Do you know what makes me nervous with the statement you just made, though? The last four mm. to five years. At what point? At what point? Because it and maybe it's more seems and feels to me than actual reality. I don't know if anyone's got it handy, but I feel like the last few years Zach Ertz has been hurt. Quite he was at the beginning of his career for like the first two or three years. He seemed to get injured every year, and then I would never, never draft him after that. But now it's been. I think this is. This last year, 2019, I think, was the uh, fourth year in a row that he was a tight end one. I could be totally off, but I'm pretty sure it's, he's been a tight end one for at least three straight years. 
I don't doubt so it. I don't want to. Let me see. I, I think there is a huge difference between put... being a, ti- a top five tight end and being a tight end one when you come in the bottom range of that from like the eight to 12. Do you get what I'm saying by that, Paul? Definitely. Uh, you know, do you not do you not feel that Zach Ertz is? Oh no, uh, no, I, I, I definitely feel like he's top five. But to the point is, um, uh, what Rich was saying is this the year that he falls off? I I can't. I'm for the life of me, I can't remember what game I was watching. But the Eagles did not have many wide receivers last year, and I couldn't remember. I I saw Zach Ertz get pummeled across the middle so many times in this one game, and they did like a close up on him. Yeah. And he just right. looked defeated. He looked hurt. He looked down. It, it wasn't the Zach Ertz that I was used to. So my opinion on it is I'd rather get off the train too early than too late. The, I'm, I'm with you, Nugget. I, now, do you guys ever watch – I uh, watched Hart the year the uh, Cowboys were on there and the Browns. Okay. Okay. So do you remember when the Browns were on there and they played that preseason game oh. against the Eagles – and um, the linebacker for the Browns who, who got into that legal trouble and then went to Seattle, I can't think of his name right now, yeah. Kendricks, Michael Kendricks. Do you, remember, do you remember what he said in that team meeting before what the game? So he said, number 86 is the best receiver on the team. And he says, note what I said, mm-hmm. best receiver on the team. He don't like to get hit. Uh-uh. And so the defense they showed in that preseason game and it was early in the game, and he got lit up, and he was basically nothing the rest of that game. And I've always taken note to that. And I've just wondered, you know, to your point, Nugget, I'm sure, you know, these football players aren't dumb. They watch the same thing. They talk to each other. How much does that spread around? And that he's just been getting exactly. pumped the last few years, and it's starting to wear on him. And I've actually heard people say that they think that they think Goddard is actually more talented. I, I don't know. I'm not going to go out on that limb and say that. Let's just say I, I would be, um, I would not be surprised at all if Goddard overtook um, Ertz next year. And I would, oh, I would bet that he overtook him in two years. Pretty, like, I would be very confident in that. That's. Now you never know. I mean, the, uh, we're starting to see the career of the NFL players isn't isn't what it used to be. I and mean, guys are retiring at 30. You know, you, you just look at Andrew Luck. I mean, after being injured and everything, and he signs that big contract, and he put his he put his health over money in football. So you never know, man. Exactly. So um, I'd, I'd like to move to the, the other topic that I kind of threw out there that I thought we'd talk about um, was, you know, Pick a couple of players that, you know, depending on how the draft went, that maybe you guys would have flip-flopped, done something different. And, Nugget, there's there's a couple of them you got on here that I really want to talk about. Um, and, Paul, I definitely want to get your feedback as well. So, Miles Sanders, <laughs> in my opinion, is possibly the most polarizing running back on all of Twitter. And, and it's amazing to me because I, I – while I haven't been overly vocal about it, my stance has been be- – not specifically my stance because I'm not the only one with it, but the stance that I'm on the side of has been kind of bashed. Um, so I'm very curious. You know, 
Nugget, you mentioned um, when we were talking the uh, yes. Leonard Fournette pick. I would have flopped the two. Versus Personally, Miles Sanders. no brainer for me, I would have flopped the two. Um, like I've t- said, risk averse is something I'm not, I'm trying to avoid any type of risk with my first two picks. Especially when both of these players, both of these managers went, um, so the person that picked Miles Sanders went Patrick Mahomes with his first pick, and the person that went Leonard Fournette went Lamar Jackson. You yep. have if you're going a quarterback in your first pick when you are the 101, you're gonna have to wait 24 pick 20 24 picks to pick your next player. You need to be as right. risk averse as possible because quarterbacks can get hurt very easily. Leonard Fournette. I don't know if you guys heard this, but I, I don't even know if it's true. But I heard that the uh, Jaguars couldn't trade Leonard Fournette for a seventh-round draft pick in the NFL. Like, if that is true, that oh speaks goodness. so much about Fournette. I've heard rumors of holding out. Um, yeah, they're going to they, – they, I've heard, also heard that they're going to work him to death, put him all in, like, pound, pound, pound. Well – this is a human being. How long do you think he's going to be able to put up with that before he pulls a, a, a Ramsey that just went to the Rams last year? I'm blanking on uh, Jalen Ramsey, right? Jalen Ramsey. Like, before he's quotation marks. Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. That, that worries me. And Miles Sanders, yes, uh, Doug Peterson loves to do his um, running back by committee. But um, who's there? Who's left? Um, the only person I would be re- really worried about is Devontae Freeman. But he's still hasn't been signed, so you can't – I don't want to be uh, scared about the future when right now he looks great to me, especially compared to Fournette. That's just my opinion on those two. What's your thoughts, Paul? Because I have some thoughts, you know, but I want to hear your I thoughts. Did a, I recently did a story, not recently, but a few months ago, because um, people were talking about Leonard Fournette as a top five running back. Actually, I believe it was a gentleman by the name of DFB, uh, DFB Encounter, I believe was his handle on Twitter. He was talking about how he had Leonard Fournette as a top five running back in fantasy. And I didn't understand it just because prior to last year, we didn't really see – Fournette doing much in the passing passing game. And when you look at last year, Fournette only had two touchdowns. Fournette to me is just he's a guy who needs a lot of volume to be successful. So I've 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 been fading Fournette personally. I you know I don't usually I don't typically take them. Of the two of Miles Sanders and Fournette, I think I'd rather have Fournette only because you think about Jacksonville, they wanted to trade and they couldn't. So you imagine they're just going to run him into the ground like Nugget pointed out. And with Gardner Minshew and now LaVishka Chanel there and Jay Gruden as the offensive coordinator, you've got to think that the Jacksonville offense is going to be a lot better this year and that will lead could should lead to more scoring opportunities for Fournette. And he's the bell cow. So I'll take the volume over Sanders, who's who, – is known to be in a running, a running back by committee. That I, I, I see your point there. So, 
I, I'm kind of high on Fournette, and I'm hoping more people let him go and let him slip because they don't like him. Now, part of that is I might be misled by one of the analysts that I really enjoy listening to. Um, part of it is because I, I've had success with Fournette when he's been on the field. Two years ago, he left a pretty sour taste in my mouth with some of his antics. Um, but if you look at what he did last year, it's, it's by accident that he didn't have more points because of the way the touchdowns worked out. And it's not like he's not capable of running them in. That offense just struggled all the way around at times. And I agree, it's a lot of volume, but he's getting the volume. And I do think some of the volume will go down with Jay Gruden there. I think you've got to be cognizant of both Chanel and Chris Thompson. Um, we've seen how Jay Gruden's used Chris Thompson in the past. At the same time, let's not, as, let's not forget that Alfred Morris was a thing under Jay Gruden. And and uh, so I I feel like yes, there's going to be some regression in snaps, um, probably some regression in yard, definitely some regression in the passing game. But I think you're going to see some positive gains in the touchdown area, positive gains in efficiency. Um, I I don't know of too many other. You know, when it comes to my running backs, I want the backs with volume. I get very leery of these guys who split backfields. It's partly why I'm just not as high on Aaron Jones as other people. I think Aaron Jones is going to be absolutely the same thing he was last year. If what he produces at last year's numbers, is he, is he truly worth the second-round pick? I don't know that he is. I'm kind of – I don't know. I haven't looked at the final numbers. I haven't done a full comparison. But I put Miles Sanders in that same boat. If I'm given a choice, I want the guy that I know is going to be on the field 70 to 80% of the time. And Fournette, in all intents and purposes, has been that. And I think he will still be that with Jay Gruden. I, you know, I get there's nobody there in that Philly backfield, but there was nobody in that Philly backfield the last two years. No, yeah. Jordan Howard, Clement. Jay Ajayi. I mean, an old Jay Ajayi. Boston Scott. Um, oh. Darren Sproles. the short guy that uh, – Sproles is the guy. Yes, yeah, Scott too, but Sproles, Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles has been great, but, I mean, it's been the twilight of his career at this point, you know. So, uh, good good talk on that. I, I, I understand where you both are coming from well, there. Well, I'm going to – I'm interested to see it play out. I'll be frank, I don't have fast. a good enough crystal ball to uh, – Fournette had 100 targets last year. I – with how we know Jay Gruden used Chris Thompson and how he loves him, those I personally believe those targets are going to go down. Chenault's going to take a lot of targets at the line of scrimmage as well. We talk about um, Fournette having three touchdowns. Well, if we can look at um, uh, Miles Sanders, he had three touchdowns on the ground as well. I know he had the three in the air. It's definitely a fluke that Fournette didn't have – he had a, he had 76 receptions and not a single touchdown. That's Personally, that's a little bit of a fluke for me. So I'm going to compare the the touchdowns of the three touchdowns for Fournette and the three touchdowns on the ground Agreed. for Miles Sanders. And if we look at it, which team, which offense would you rather have? That's part of my thing. I would much rather put my backing behind the Philadelphia Eagles offense more than the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's also play. That plays a factor for me as and well. And if I'm 
And he in his rookie year, he put up 818 uh, rushing yards on 179 carries. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy with that work, and he has the and he's a great pass catcher. 50 uh 50 receptions on 63 targets for 509 yards, along with those three touchdowns. That's kind of why I'm leaning towards him. They're, they're like I said, they're very similar for me. I would just swap them. If I may, Rich. No, I was going to say, I brought up the thread that I did, and I I did a thread on just the uh, consistency of the RB1s in 2019. And Fournette, in his, you know, respect to Fournette, because when you talk about consistency, I believe it was eight or nine games where Fournette averaged his points per game. He he got to his points per game average eight of the uh, 16 weeks of the season. And that was right along the lines of every RB1, with the exception of Mark Ingram, who I believe did it 12 times. But he's right; he was right there as far as consistency goes with those RB1s. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit harder on Fournette just because I don't, I don't really care for him. But when you think about last year, even though with the lack of touchdown, he was still pretty consistent. I will give him that. No, I agree. And I I, – I, I, I had him, and that's what was funny to me is he was – I don't know if I had him as my two or three, um, but he, here was the deal. Your floor was eight to nine points. Your ceiling was 12 to 14. You knew, you knew what you were getting almost every week. It was like clockwork. It was odd when he didn't. Um, and, and I think some of that is, is – I think some of this is personal risk aversion, high side, upside. I'm not going to deny Miles Sanders is better talent, okay? You know, I, I catch some flack on, on Twitter about it. Look, I'm a Penn State fan. I've been a Penn State fan. I, I was fully aware of Sanders when Barkley was there. You can ask my wife. I've been on the Barkley obsession train since his freshman year. I get the talent that's there. I just get so nervous with that offense. But, you know, Nugget brought up a very valid point. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be taking any overs on the Jacksonville's offense. Philly, on the other hand, if they can at least figure out a little bit of the receiving core problem, and and hell, even if Carson doesn't stay healthy, I do have high hopes for Hurts. Um, they 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 can put up points, and they're gonna put up points. So, it, I just found those two players. I find them both very polarizing on Twitter, and it's kind of funny. And I have a feeling come draft season, we're going to see them both go that. very close to each other in drafts, I, just like they did. In I this thought Nugget brought up a good point. If you're going to, if you, when you just look at the team's offense and everything, Philly definitely has the better offense, and Miles Sanders would be the better pick. I am really excited to see what another year with Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark, and you know, we talked about Levishka Chenault, and now Chris Thompson is also there in Jacksonville. What could he be taking down some passing work? But right. You know, that's a good point. Those Miles Sanders and Leonard Fournette are very polarizing running backs. And, you know, one is kind of being faded and the other one is being talked about as like a top three running back. So that brings me to the next the next two players Nugget kind of highlighted, which was Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson. And I, I will be real frank with you, Nugget, when I made that pick, I was very on the fence. Those were the two players I was looking mm-hmm. between. Um, I had hoped Beckham was going to be there, in all honesty. He's been kind of falling that way. I think people are sleeping on him a little bit. I do think 
I don't think the Browns' offense is going to be high-powered throwing all the time. I think it's going to be very similar to what the Vikings have done. But, frankly, that offense has been efficient. <laughs> um, he just didn't happen to fall. You know, and it's interesting because you, you both those teams you talked about, Nugget, you know, getting your safe picks the first two or three, I don't think they did any – I think um, – the, the team with Lamar Jackson, Fournette, they were a little bit better because mm-hmm. they went with Cooper Cup with their first receiver. That is a pretty safe bet, in my opinion. I'm not convinced Mike Evans I'm is pulling it up bet. looking at now. Yeah, no, I just especially, I mean, Tom Brady doesn't have the arm that he um, has had he used to have. I mean, he's not going to be chucking it deep. And that's right, why Mike right. Evans and Chris Godwin were, what, were they top six PPR receivers? Both of them? Top five, exactly. I think they were top five. Wow. I think that's actually, why they I, were I, like I think that it actually, they're behind in some games. formats they were top three. I am be, I'm I'm a big storyline guy. I'm a hundred percent by the fact that Brady um wants to win. He wants to prove that he can do without Belichick. They he doesn't care if he doesn't throw for yep, five thousand yep. yards. He just wants to win. So they're gonna play smart. He's gonna abuse Chris Godwin. Mike Evans is going to be boomer yep. bust as boomer bust can be, in my opinion. I agree. So, um, but what I was getting at with Galladay and Robinson, um, you're spot on. I was really torn. Um, Do you know what my decision was? It was on that? the Galladay's how well he it. played whenever the quarterback went down. How how he stayed consistent. Uh, no, oh, it was Stafford. It, it was actually who the quarterback was. I I have much more faith in Stafford than I you. do Foles or Trubisky at this point. Very fair. And and I like I like Allen Robinson more. Okay, in a dynasty, I think most people would probably go Galladay because of the age, and people are sleeping on Robinson. Again, PSU mm-hmm. guy. I'm a big fan of Allen Robinson. He made Blake Bortles look like a champ. I just – I don't know how I feel about Foles right now or Trubisky. Um, I thought Foles would do better in Jacksonville than he did. So this has me a little concerned. So that was literally the coin flip came down to, you know what, Matt Stafford may or may not be hurt, but I do know for a fact Matt Stafford is a good NFL quarterback. Exactly. I don't know what – NFL quarterback is going to be playing for the Chicago Bears. And I'm, I'm even – If I may just add, I was kind of surprised at the year that Allen Robinson was able to have with how bad Trubisky and the Bears offense was last year. I had him in a league, and it, I mean, Jen laughed at me, my wife. She laughed at me, and she couldn't believe I kept putting him in lineups. And I said, babe, mm-hmm. he gets it done every week, like – He's I mean, good for 10 I'm points. trying to pull it up right now. How many freaking it just uh, was. targets did he have last year? Let's see. Uh, like 147, I think. 154 targets. Oh, I think he had 137. I think so. Something 147, like, is that what it was? Wow. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's insane. That's force feeding, though. Yeah, I believe point. it's a one, one reach Trubisky out there, man. <laughs> exactly. I said one reach or biscuit. That's a what? What? Uh, 
when Reed Trubisky. Yeah. He uh he's something, man. Well, I tell you what, let's let's finish it up. Um I think I uh, think uh Oh, what are you saying? I think I, we all, I did you know, really want to talk about this. was I think, maybe we can finish on this one. A team that didn't well, – I like to play devil's advocate. Go ahead. What team that we thought did well that didn't wait on quarterback? We can touch on that real quick um, and kind of end it on that. Is that okay with you guys? Perfect. Yeah. Uh, of course. Two, which one – what was yep. uh, your uh, – who would you pick for that one? Well, I was with you, Nug. I, um, I, I liked what the Gridiron Scholar did. What's interesting about this is his intent was to wait on quarterback. He really thought he was going to wait longer. However, when, when he saw that Russell Wilson was still available as the fifth quarterback and there at the 3-5 spot, he went ahead and pulled the trigger. He felt good about his running backs, and he pulled the trigger there. That really wasn't his intent, but it worked well for him, in my opinion. Um, I know, Nugget, you were kind yeah, of happy I just, with how I his loved worked how too, he, so why don't, he grabbed why don't you touch a little bit about what you like? Great running backs, Ezekiel Elliott and Aaron Jones. We do have our questions about Jones, but it's, it's you can't deny what he did last year. Um, so, But when he saw Russell Wilson fall in that, that fifth running back off the board with his third pick, um, I would imagine he kind of – so that okay, if I pick him here, which I love, which he probably loved the value, what is the rest of my team gonna look like? So he was great. He had great running backs. Okay, you know, rookie running backs haven't been gone off crazy. So I know I'm either gonna get probably James Conner, Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, or Todd Gurley with my fourth running back. I can do that. Then I can go my fifth through ninth rounds and hit receiver. He ended up landing DK Metcalf, the boy, Darius Slayton, Deontay Johnson, and John Brown. With those three running backs, I feel that he is going to be able to find the matchup with those five options to really pick three to four running backs that are going to be full on. So that's what I how I would imagine he was looking at the draft board and saying, okay, there's a lot of options here. And you know what's interesting is I kicked myself because Uh I didn't see Deontay Johnson on the board. I didn't go down far enough. I would have taken Deontay Johnson over Mike Williams there in a heartbeat. That was the one that I, I wish I would have had back. Now, that said, I don't know if it was that bad off getting my – they're very similar. I mean, they're, they're going at around the same time in ADP, but they're both similar upside in my opinion, um, similar questions. But I, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to touch on was I, I think you can wait on QB too. And, and he got one early, but if you notice, he waited a long time before he got that second one. And he, he got a lot of depth there. And I'm of the opinion. And that's actually what down, the article I, get away with I some we kind of uh, mentioned I'm writing. That's what it's about. I mean, it's, it has to play. That's part of the article. Yep. 
awesome. Well, then I can't wait to read it because I, I'm in full agreement. Because, I mean, think about it. He got John Brown as his fifth receiver. Exactly. John Brown was a receiver three all year last year. So, Paul, what are your thoughts, man? I, I <laughs> no, no, you're good. No problem at all. Uh, just going along with what uh, Nugget said, I mean, I really liked Gridiron, Gridiron Scholar. He was able to grab Russell Wilson right there with his third-round pick. You know, he decided not to wait, even though that was his initial plan. He decided, you know, the value's just too good. I'll go ahead and grab him. And then to pair back him with DK Metcalf, I mean – that that com that duo right there could go off for for fifty points, fifty sixty points exactly. any given week. And though that I mean that stack could be weak and winning I'm, easily. Yep, absolutely. And uh, another team that yep. I that I liked that they didn't they decided to uh, capitalize on quarterbacks was uh, Ron's team. He pairs Lamar Jackson together with Josh Allen, and I mean you talk about a dynamic duo. Two guys who can run, and then also have the weapons to 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 get you a lot of uh, just passing yards. And uh, you know, when you look at his wide receivers, Cooper Cup and Tyler Lockett, I just I like that that pairing of those four players right there. That's a lot of upside as well. Well, and he got a couple he got a couple of steals at running back. In all fairness, um, he could be hurting or not, depending on what we see with the rookies, but. You know, I looked at his team, and I have questions on DeAndre Swift. Latavius Murray is what he is, but Zach Moss, Buffalo's going to split that mm-hmm. backfield, so that could very well be a gold mine with the 13th round pick. Um, that said, I tell you what, I look at all these teams, and Paul, I'm in agreement. The teams that I find the most dangerous, in all fairness, you guys did too were almost all the teams that waited on quarterbacks. And now not all of them waited as long as others, okay? Um, Nugget brought up Matt Ryan in the seventh round, and, you know, that team followed up with Aaron Rodgers in the, in the eighth round. So pretty two pretty good quarterbacks. He actually went and got a third quarterback in the tenth round in John Burrow. Yeah. But their lineup was pretty thorough. I mean, this is – I think this is house maybe? Yeah, to the house. It's to the house. So, you know, now, I don't know who waited the longest. Was I thought it was you. It looks like all of us kind of was, well, I think a couple of us waited at the same round. You see, I, it, it, that's what happened. So, after I took Baker Mayfield, one, two, three, four, four of the next five picks were quarterbacks. The guy that didn't take a quarterback already had two. And the team that took the fifth quarterback had one quarterback. None of the exactly. other ones did. That started a run. Because then because then it came back and, and Burrow went, I took Locke, and Jimmy Garoppolo went, and then Kirk Cousins went shortly thereafter. That, that swallowed up all the quarterbacks right there. Um, you know, Gridiron Scholar, to your point, he waited, he got Sam Darnold, and he went ahead and got Gardner Minshew. But I, I think we all can agree. I mean, you you got to – you guys tell me. Uh, I think 100%. there's something to – you've got to be savvy. And Definitely. I mean, you might, have a, you might have a plan going in, but when value starts to fall, good players start to fall, you shouldn't be stubborn and say, well, I said I was going to do this, so I'm going to stick to this. Just let the job come to you. And 
when good players are falling and you, you like those players, grab them. It doesn't matter. I 100% agree with that. Um, it's you can't you can't be stubborn. You you can you can come in with an idea, but you got to have be able to switch it up if the correct value value falls to you. I exactly. Yep. Zig when they zag. No, thanks for having me on. Well, gentlemen, I any final thoughts it. before we sign off? You know, here? we won't get you know we won't talk about it in depth or anything, but. I was just, you know, kind of, I'd like to know what uh, Team 12 was thinking. I felt kind of bad for them. Not that they have, you know, a really bad team or anything. It just seems like they were having to pick from, you know, they had slim pickings. And you look on paper, they have some good some good players. But it seemed to get after about the sixth or seventh round that things started to get rough for them. And I'm just kind of wondering what their thought process was when, when they were making their picks. You know, I don't know, but I definitely would have started differently than they did, to be honest with you. Um, Joe Mixon's I, – I, I don't disagree with the Joe Mixon pick. I probably would have taken him over Julio. But I wouldn't have thought twice about coming back with Kenyon Drake or Tyreek Hill or Chris Godwin. Um, I think if they had done that, that would have changed the draft dramatically. Um, because I think – I think it enabled some of us to get some exactly. Yeah, it, sure to be did. Honest with you. Um, no, that's that's all I have right now. Final thoughts, Nugget. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate it. This was fun. Um, I think, uh, like I said, I'm going to try to put together a 16 team mock. We'll we'll talk about on the next show why mm-hmm. and what that's about, but. Uh, if you guys know anyone that's interested, let me know. I don't want it to be too crazy, too involved. I don't want it to go too deep. Yes, they do. Because um, with 16 team things, uh, yeah, things that'd be fun. Really I'd, like to, I'd like to be part of that. Hey, absolutely. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much. This is Rich Maletto at Bodacious Beer on Twitter. We got Paul Basura at Paul underscore Ryan. And Daniel <laughs> Martino at Nuggy underscore Wuggy with the G-G-I-E on it. Guys, thanks a lot for the uh, across-the-board fantasy show. Or across the board. Have a good night, guys. Show. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful night.